0: all rise the legal show of new orleans is now in session on whiv 102.3 fm welcome to the radio show that presents a case of equal human rights and social justice for everyone this hour of legal discussion is brought to you by all those who've come before us in the struggle for justice it's time to stand together and speak truth to power
1: Greetings and welcome to another episode of the All Rise Legal Hour, hosted by the Justice and Accountability Center of Louisiana. This is Savannah Wheeler, your host for this evening, and tonight we're talking about criminal justice policy reform in Louisiana. We're speaking with John Burkhart, Criminal Justice Reform Field Director with the Southern Poverty Law Center. We'll hear about his work leading a coalition of folks committed to reducing Louisiana's imprisonment rate. His major major takeaways from last year's historic two thousand and seventeen legislative session in Louisiana, and what his goals and visions are for criminal justice reform in Louisiana in the two thousand and eighteen session and beyond. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on the All Rise Legal Hour on WHIVLP in New Orleans.
0: You are listening to WHIVLP in New Orleans, one hundred two point three FM, dedicated to human rights social justice, and public health. The objective of WHIV is to remove the stigma and shame from those factors that led to the disease's spread. By reserving our airwaves for the voices of the marginalized, for honest dialogue, and for community action, we're working to bring issues of social injustice and human rights into the light. Donate or become an underwriter by emailing info at whivfm.org.
2: John Burkhardt. I am criminal justice reform field director with the Southern Poverty Law Center here in New Orleans. So the Southern Poverty Law Center is dedicated to fighting hate, te- teaching tolerance, and uh, and seeking justice, and do that through a variety of, of ways. That's through you know, litigation, education, and now more and more through uh, you know through advocacy. I like to think of my role as part organizer, part policy person part lobbyist. So I um, I guess partial, uh, my favorite metaphor is I'm spotlight operator. So finding people who best exemplify what values we have and what we want to push for and just trying to make sure that the attention stays on them. And then also part translator. So what is happening in the capital, uh, the processes and procedures in there. I want to make sure that that is accessible and understandable for people in the community who don't have the time or access to to spend time in the Capitol or follow the legislative process.
1: In his role as criminal justice reform field director, John also served as one of the primary spokespeople for Louisianans for Prison Alternatives, or LPA.
2: So Louisianans for Prison Alternatives is a coalition that's been a, around for around a year and a half when we started uh, in the shadow of the justice reinvestment process in the 2016-2017 year. And we formed just to, you know, to organize the community and get folks from around the state who are vested in uh, care about criminal justice reform. We want to inform them, get them involved in the process, and it's simply a large, diverse uh, group of stakeholders, concerned citizens, um, anyone who cares about Louisiana's incarceration rate, in particular about how that rate is way too high and not reflective of how we should be as a state.
1: So what is the justice reinvestment process that happened in 2016 through 2017?
2: Yeah, so justice reinvestment came about from House Concurrent Resolution 82 in the 2015 session, and that was bipartisan across multiple stakeholders who realized that our incarceration rate was too high, um, and there were a variety of motivations behind it. Some, For some people, it was the fiscal reason, spending way too much money. Uh, for a lot of others, it was about you know, we're getting poor returns on our public safety. Uh, and then for others, it's about, uh, you know, understanding what this does to to the people in the communities from which we, uh, we, you know, people are, our incarcerated population comes from. So that happened in 2015, and then it was ultimately authorized and began work in 2016. And it was, uh, uh, the task force itself was comprised of people from across the criminal justice system, as well as the um, you know, House, Senate. Uh, And so you had, you know, Supreme Court uh, representation, district attorneys, judges, public defenders, uh, sheriffs, and these were open meetings. The Pew Charitable Trust came in to do research for that. Uh, They went around, they had access to the Department of Corrections, uh, everything from the Department of Corrections. So they gathered all sorts of data uh, to find out like, we knew that we had the highest incarceration rate in the world, but this was about finding out how and why. So, for instance, who are we sending to prison? How long are we sending them there for? Uh, how long yeah, how long are they there? How is that different from other states? And what, what does this look like? What they, so it's essentially just holding up a mirror to Louisiana's criminal justice system. And then they ended up uh, producing a set of recommendations those recommendations turned into legislation, and then over the course of the legislative session last year, uh, those re- that that legislation ended up becoming law. Of course, certain things were cut out along the way, but uh, you know it was pretty remarkable that in twenty seventeen Louisiana could not pass a state budget, but yet we were able to pass ten bills that, and actually there were a couple other bills that were related, but. Ten bills that lowered our incarceration rates. So it was pretty, it was pretty phenomenal, and um, uh, it didn't solve everything, but it was it was great to be a part of.
1: It. So, how was John and SPLC involved in this justice reinvestment process?
2: Yeah, actually, I began here at the Southern Poverty Law Center about a month into that, and when this whole thing started, I didn't know I would be involved at all, and then I just kind of had an opening here. SPLC has the resources to, uh, you know put me up in hotel rooms and to to be able to go to Shreveport and Baton Rouge and Lake Charles and buy some grapes and chips and sweet tea and share the data that was being gathered and um, information about the process that was happening with the community. So uh, I ended up taking this on as my full-time role and and really just just hitting the road because Louisiana is a very face-to-face state. And there are a lot of people who care a lot about this, but they got day jobs and they can't make it. So I I took it as my mandate to make sure that people throughout Louisiana could access information and what was happening.
1: So what was the process of building this community coalition around these criminal justice reform issues and the strategy to ensure that the coalition's input was incorporated as the 2017 legislative session progressed?
2: Yeah, it was, we didn't have... You know, we we really it began with one room uh, here in New Orleans. Of, I, I, you know, maybe there were a few dozen people, and then it since blossomed into several hundred across the state. So we didn't really, I I certainly didn't know what what it was going to be, mm-hmm. but as we as we gained momentum, more people came on board, and we really got to see what were the what were the values, and our, our coalition kind of uh, like showed us what what the values were, and the real purpose of what we were doing was. You know, this could have been, as they say, inside baseball. So it could have been this task force meeting in a room, streamed online, but for all intents and purposes, just people invest, you know, inside Baton Rouge, inside the Capitol, doing their thing and making decisions on behalf of the entire state without much input. And we wanted to make sure that that you know people did have a voice in this. And as it went on, you know, as the as a recommendation developed and they had policies in there that were controversial to some people, but to many of us, we know that, you know, this affects our loved ones, this affects our communities and it might be controversial in a, you know, in some sort of campaign ad or some sort of scare tactic, but where the rubber meets the road, it's about offering people the chance at redemption and the chance to restore their dignity. And we wanted to make sure that people, you know, this task force and legislators didn't do simply what was convenient or politically palatable. We wanted to make sure that they made the right decision, even if it would be, you know, quote unquote controversial, because we knew it was for the best for the people that we care about and the people who comprise our coalition.
1: So how do you get community voices to the table and how do you get legislators to listen
2: we, we we built a lot of building relationships both inside and out. So with the folks involved in the task force, and then, you know, you know we had access to the Capitol. So we build relationships and find out, you know, we, we would find out when, you know, when was the next task force meeting or during legislative session, when would Senate Bill 220 be heard in this committee or that committee? And as soon as we knew, we kicked it out to... To people in the community. We encouraged them to come and we even hired buses and and did what we could to arrange transportation so that someone where you know this a particular bill or a portion of that bill affected uh, someone's community and someone in particular their loved one and we could offer them the opportunity to testify then we want to make sure that that they could make it to Baton Rouge to share their story or their experience with with the committee um, and and also, you know, if people couldn't be there, we wanted to make sure that they had the chance to to send a, you know, a letter, email, phone call, tweet, or Facebook post to their senator or representative to let them know, uh, you know, how they felt about a particular bill.
1: So, how did lawmakers respond to hearing this testimony from the community?
2: Uh, it, it's you know, it's a really and it's a very powerful topic. It's very in your. It's both you know, the hardest part and also like one of the most rewarding jobs to be in that room where people are sharing their story. And, you know, there, there's a lot of grief and a lot of, a lot of pain. And it's just the amount of courage that it takes for folks to, to go there and and sit in front of uh, a committee of, of people who decide this, who um, you you don't always think they're going to be the most sympathetic, but when people start sharing their story and then you know, they certainly get quite a bit emotional. Uh, it moves people and it, it definitely moves, moves me when I'm sitting there watching and you can watch the, the centers and the representatives and see how it impacts them. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely effective. And we, we try to encourage that and, uh, and be sensitive to people's, people's pain and people's grief. But I think by and large, the folks that have been sharing these are, they find it cathartic. They, um, they appreciate the opportunity to do it and we want to make sure that if if they're willing then that they have the opportunity to do that
1: we'll be right back on the all rise legal hour with john burkhardt of the southern poverty law center do you have a criminal record is it causing you problems in getting housing or employment an expungement might help you jac has a mobile and web application that will help you with an expungement It's available on iTunes and Google Play. You can also speak with an attorney at one of JAC's expungement workshops at the Orleans Parish Public Defender's Office, located at 2601 Tulane Avenue on the 7th floor, where they're the 2nd and 4th Wednesdays of each month. More information can be found at www.jaclouisiana.org. We're back on the All Rise Legal Hour with John Burkhardt, Criminal Justice Field Director of the Southern Poverty Law Center here in New Orleans. We've been hearing from John on his work building and coordinating a statewide coalition to push needed criminal justice reform here in Louisiana. So in the 2017 legislative session last year, we saw some historic reforms as a result of the justice reinvestment process. I asked John to explain some of the most important outcomes of the 2017 legislative session.
2: The overarching ones that were that were very important were we gained some, but not all, ground on extending parole eligibility. Uh, Louisiana is just a very, very harsh state where you know, life means life, and you know, we're one of one of two states where you know a lot life sentence means a life sentence. There's no opportunity for parole. And we were able to work on, You know, we are able to, with a lot of other groups, and all of this, you know, there are a lot of other groups involved, but uh, one was extending to, to to people who committed their crimes as juveniles, the opportunity for parole, which is in line with the Supreme Court case. Uh, there are certain people who, uh, a small class of folks who were extended um, parole eligibility. They com- this is a group that committed second-degree murder between 1973 and 79, and they've been given the opportunity to um, to present their case for for parole. Um, it doesn't mean they get out, but at least they have that option to present their case after I mean, 40 years in prison. Uh, there were some se- changes to sentencing, so some of our our sentencing was um, you know, uh, made. You know, a bit more humane. We had, uh, you know, some folks are able to get occupational licenses that are, uh, you know, that, that have training so that they can earn an earn a living on the outside. Uh, extended food stamp eligibility to some folks with with convictions. Um, there was an important part that said that this uh, that any savings resulting from these measures would be reinvested. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm blanking on a couple others, but. There were, there were 10 bills, a lot of measures, and, um, and some of them you know, extended, you know, ease the sanctions for people who committed uh, you know, technical violations while they're on parole. So a, a lot with sentencing, a lot with probation and parole.
1: Many of these reforms have already gone into law. What has their impact been so far? And what is their impact expected to be in the future?
2: Most of, most of these have gone into law. Um, the big date was November 1st. Which is when the what we call the big the the big three sentencing and then probation parole those went into effect and in particular on November first, you had a, a, about nineteen hundred extra folks released from prison than would normally have been because the good time parole eligibility date was was moved uh, the percentage that someone had to serve was. Uh, reduced by 5%. So you had a lot of folks who on average were released about three months early and uh, you know, sent back in the community. And that, in, in a way that was almost, I mean, it's a large number and it was certainly uh, something to get ready for within within Department of Corrections for especially probation parole officers to get ready to be able to supervise people and to make sure that uh, a lot of these people were, were ready to be released. But it almost, in a way, it almost was even bigger as a political football. So people who were against the process used it as an opportunity to, uh, you know, stoke some fear, to talk about how, how, you know, how scary it was going to be. And and then, you know, a lot of us, you know, had to really kick it into high gear to defend what was going to happen. And I think one of the, you know, one of the more illustrative examples was uh, there was a there was a young man who was rearrested about two weeks later, and he was, uh, it, it was like late at night, midnight-ish, at the federal courthouse in Baton Rouge, and he was looking for a judge. And I, you know, you read between the lines there, and it sounds like this is this is someone who has has some issues, has some health issues, and, and didn't, you know, may not have, probably did not understand where he was, uh, a lot of the overlaying circumstances, and there was certainly you know, we're lacking uh, the the infrastructure to help this person successfully transition. And I think that shows mostly what what this has been about, is that we need to, Louisiana needs to get ready to be able to, you know, to have that net in place so that when people are released, they can make that transition successful. And a lot of people, uh, very, you know, very caring, very capable, very intelligent folks, uh, but we just simply haven't um, haven't yet fully developed that infrastructure. But so far, the the ultimate savings from this are projected to be higher than than what was initially calculated, about double um, the first year. At least that's where we're at right now. Um, and then as far as recidivism rates, I think it's lower than than is generally um, than it's generally been. And I think one of the biggest gains is I. I do have the privilege of going into a lot of these facilities, you know, go to Angola quite a bit. In the next couple of weeks, I'll be visiting a few of them. But you hear, you hear people speak now with a sense of hope, because I think a lot of the prison population, yeah, they watched, they watched the process, this legislative process, very, very closely and with a lot of skepticism, with good reason, because why would anyone trust the Louisiana legislature to? to do, to do this. And they ended up doing that. And you hear about a lot of hope and people, little small anecdotes that mean a lot, but about people who, you know, start paying a little bit more attention in their, uh, in their classes in, in prison or towards their, uh, towards their plan or, or you know, maybe, maybe taking some right steps in their behavior and, and just that thing that hope can do for you and in making you, uh, you know, kind of be a little bit more, you know, deliberate and automatic in doing the right thing. And I think that may end up being, you know, it's an intangible, but that might end up making one of the greatest differences. Because we really do want these folks to succeed and a lot of that, uh, you know, part of that comes from being ready to, to welcome them back, but part of that definitely comes from within them. And if we can get ready on the outside and they can then have some, some sense of hope and, and optimism, then I think we're on the right, we're definitely on the right track.
1: listening to the All Rise Legal Show presented by the Justice and Accountability Center of Louisiana. Tonight, we're talking with John Burkhardt, Criminal Justice Reform Field Director of the Southern Poverty Law Center. We've talked about the historic outcomes of the 2017 legislative session in Louisiana, and the role of policy advocates such as those involved with SPLC and Louisianans for Prison Alternatives. So a major goal of these reforms, in addition to producing fair outcomes for people, is to save the state money by reducing the prison population. So another big conversation has been how this money saved should be reinvested.
2: So it's said that uh, the the reinvestment bill that went that passed created a few different a few different pots. Um, for one, 70 percent of all savings that result from this will go back into the system to lower the recidivism rate. And part of that will go towards victim services. Part of that will go towards, you know, within, within DOC towards, you know, programming, developing more re-entry programming or job training, um, work, work readiness programs. And then another part will go towards re-entry. Uh, building up that reentry infrastructure. And a lot of that's also open to the community, which I think is very important because it, you know, the fear is that this all turns into, you know, you save some money and then a bunch of for-profit companies from out of state come in and make some competitive bids. And and then we kind of lose, you know, kind of lose that, that touch or or that accountability because there have been, there are a lot of folks who have been doing this for decades and and it's been done to varying degrees of formality. Some of it is driving a truck to the prison gates and picking someone up and putting them up in a, in a church basement and giving them some soup and, um, and making personal introductions. So we want to make sure that people that have been doing that who are true experts also have an opportunity to, to be able to continue to do that and, and to, receive funding to do that. The, the governor appointed uh, the Justice Reinvestment Implementation Oversight Council, and uh, they met for the first time on Friday, uh, February 16th. Um, and they'll be meeting quarterly, and still to be determined exactly how how they will operate. Uh, they'll be making a lot of, you know, they'll be advising DOC OC on, on where to spend the funds And we're making it our mandate to follow them and to make sure that their deliberations and decisions are public so that it's not, you know, we work too hard for this to pass. We work too hard for us to just trust that some political body will make the right decisions. So we want to make sure that they're accountable and transparent and that they act in the best interests and certainly in the spirit of, of the reforms that passed.
1: So a lot happened in criminal justice reform in the last legislative session. There were a lot of wins and a lot of impact so far. But a new legislative session is upon us now. So what are the Southern Poverty Law Centers and Louisiana for Prison Alternatives goals for this 2018 state legislative session?
2: In short, we want to finish the package. And what that means is that um, the task force made a series of recommendations last year and then, in the course of the legislative process, the sausage making, if you will, a uh, number of those policies were dropped. And these were research-based, data-driven you know, policies that have worked in other states, and they were dropped here. And we want to we want to make sure that they they get fair hearing. And we want to get them back. So, in particular, we want to extend parole eligibility to people serving life sentences. Um, at you know at at the uh, you know, as it is, a lot of folks. You know, for instance, second-degree murder is a, uh, a stark example, where you have uh, you know people serving life sentence for that in Louisiana. And in, in Texas, they have parole you know they have parole eligibility at thirty years, and the sentences are on a range of five to ninety-nine years, because that is uh, that is that is an offense where, you know, in a lot you know in a lot of cases, it's someone went for a ride with their cousin or brother or older friend and uh something went haywire that they weren't even a part of and it's it's just unconscionable that, that this person has to spend the rest of their life in jail without even the opportunity to present their their case for why they should be released uh, and so we, we think that folks should have that opportunity to say here's the nature of what happened however long ago and here is how I have changed in during my time in incarceration and this is why I think I should be released and it's about offering that opportunity we have a parole board that makes those decisions so it would it would come down to them so we want to extend that which was recommended by the task force we also want to remove uh, nonviolent uh, nonviolent offenses from enhancement under the habitual offender statute the habitual offender statute is Louisiana's version of three strikes you're out uh, the enhancement is, says that, you know, if I, so if I, you know, if I, if I am arrested and convicted of selling cocaine, uh, I, I might have, you know, there's a certain penalty for that. If I am arrested for, arrested and convicted of selling cocaine, but I have, you know, committed a prior offense, then that prior offense can be used to boost the amount of time that I would have to serve in prison. Um, with nonviolent offenses. You know, you, you have, it's, you, it's really just used as leverage to drive plea bargains. And I think it's just unconscionable that the extent to which that is wielded, and that is, there's a couple, you know, there you have the guy in Orleans always provides some of the best examples, but you have the guy that was uh, charged with stealing $6, $6 worth of candy, and he was facing 18 years in prison. And then there's also um, a man who was father of seven, he was recently released, resentenced, but he was serving a sentence of 13 years for possession of two grams of marijuana. And it's completely absurd, it just drives pleas, and it's uh, out of nature. It's one of those cases where punishment is far, far greater than the crime, and and so we want to restore that. And then another thing we want to get back is, is we want to extend, uh, there's, there's administrative sanctions where if someone commits a technical violation, while they're under supervision, then they don't have to serve the entirety of the sentence, but they can serve a lesser, shorter period in jail that's measured in days, not years. Uh, and and this is for technical violations, not new crimes. So that's cases where you know, they, they left the state without giving notice, uh, they had some dirty urine, or they, they moved without giving notice. Uh, they're violations, but they're not new crimes. So we think that we don't think someone should have to serve five years because their their pee was dirty. And then, uh, so that, that's what we're pushing and we're definitely going to be very vigilant about defending what was passed. You know, as I mentioned, it's, it's been a success so far. And if you look at other states, it, it really, the success is actually manifest more, even further down the line. Uh, I think there's going to be some people that are, for whatever reason, maybe they're afraid, maybe they're uh, afraid of losing some power, but they might uh, look to weaken what was passed and we're going to make sure that, that we defended and that uh, that reason and courage prevail over uh, over fear and entrenched power.
1: So what is their approach to defending the reforms that were passed and to pushing reforms that were excluded in the last session?
2: We well, certainly developed our you know, strategy and tactics and talking points and messaging and, and, created various means to support their passage, it will be, it will be difficult. It will be difficult. We're, like last year, we're doing, we're trying to do something that Louisiana's never done before and um, and trying to get more lenient and a lot of, you know, it's it's just, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be an uphill battle, but it's a necessary one. And that's what's, and that's the fun thing about about working here is we don't have to worry about political calculations. We can just do what's right. And this is a case where we know we're right, and we just have to we just have to give a lot of people the coverage and the courage to do what they also know is right. So it'll be difficult, but that's the fun of it. You know, it's, it's fun to have a challenge. Fun to have a fight. You know, we, we rely on on media and social media and powerful testimony. And um, so I, I, it'll be, you know, it, it'll, be, it'll be new. And I, we won't, I don't know if we'll have any, you know, you know, New Orleans Saints or Pelicans to testify. They're welcome to to reach out to me if they want to get up there and do that. I don't know the, what new bells and whistles we've had, but we've worked really hard. And there are a lot of us. And we've worked really hard over the past year to uh and in these policies are a product of um you know asking our coalition members around the state about what what they want to to see passed and we want to uh to lean on them and, and have them lean on us because they are our strength they are um you know, the folks around the state especially the ones who are impacted they are who this is all about and we want to make sure that uh that they feel like they have ownership and that they, they have actual ownership over that. So, you know, we have our internal strategies and then it's also gonna be about, you know, let's let's pack the capital when when a bill comes up and, and let's make sure that someone who's personally affected, if they want to, that they feel empowered that they can they can go to the capital and speak truth to power. And hopefully you know, if you know if there's a difference to be made, I think that's where that's where it will come through.
1: And beyond the 2018 session, what is John's long-term vision for criminal justice reform in Louisiana?
2: Yeah, we've, we've made progress. We want to go further. And it's not, you know, we didn't, we didn't do all this work to to get something passed last year and then clap, you know, pat ourselves on the back and say, good job, and go home. It's about building, it's really about building a permanent uh, infrastructure and presence for are you know most vulnerable communities inside the capital, so that you know, we can develop something that is constantly there. Because the you know a lot of other stakeholders have a per- permanent presence there, and there's no reason uh, there's no reason that the communities, the most affected communities, shouldn't as well. So there's a lot of you know there's a lot of policy to to be worked on, but I, I like to think of it as we're building power and trying to build a permanent structure of power uh, for the communities in the capital. So that would be probably the long term
1: The All Rise Legal Show is a project of the nonprofit Justice and Accountability Center of Louisiana. JAC provides legal services, education, and advocacy on criminal justice issues across the state of Louisiana. If you have an idea for a show that is related to criminal justice we want to hear it all ideas can be sent to all rise radio at jaclouisiana.org we're back on the all rise legal hour with john burkhardt criminal justice reform field director of the southern poverty law center So, uh, John is one of the main spokespeople of Louisianans for Prison Alternatives. We've heard a lot about this coalition's work um, pushing criminal justice reform in the 2017 session last year, and also their goals in this current um, 2018 legislative session. But I wanted to know a little bit about John's personal backstory and what got him involved in criminal justice and policy work in the first place.
2: Yeah, I I don't think I have the most inspiring backstory at all, especially with a lot of the folks that I, that I interact with here who have experienced the system or have loved ones who've experienced the system. I think I've, I've just always been, um, you know, I think that, that that ain't right is kind of a call to arms. I, I've just always been really, really upset with the abuse of power, uh, a lot of pulling for the underdog, uh, and I and I just I don't know how I, I really don't know how it is I, I got involved in. It. I think I I read some probably read some article or saw some documentary about the Innocence Project, you know, Innocence Project type story of someone who was wrongfully incarcerated, and this wasn't even all that long ago. Probably you know, it was probably my early twenties. I saw that, and not that I thought the justice system did it perfect, but when you when i heard a story about someone who'd spent you know a long time it just just really really viscerally bothered me and and then you learn about how often it is i even had a conversation last night where someone told me about a particular case that I, in louisiana that i hadn't even heard of that's happening now about an innocent person it just happens so much in louisiana alone where you know someone just gets just gets dragged through the mud and put in the system and and our system is not auto-correcting. It's not it just does not seem to be going for the truth. It just seems to be going for convenience, uh, seems to be going to generate more fines and fees from from the little guy. And it's like this is our you know, you, you read anything about, you know, I'm a history history guy, and so you read anything about like the principles upon upon which our country was supposedly founded, and you see the way it works. It's just it's not working like that, and it, it should work better. And uh, it's and so I, I think just gradually that came that came to be a motivation. And uh, in my background before that, I, I did a lot of work in international development. Uh, I was a teacher for several years, and you know I I think I gradually shifted from wanting to do work uh, you know in Africa and and wanted to, you know, saw there, there were enough problems here here at home that, you know, you could stay a little bit closer to home and, and still make a difference.
1: He also has experience working on another important issue in criminal justice, and that is funding for public defense.
2: Yeah, I that's how I, I got my start here. I um, moved down here, and then I, I got a job with the Orleans Public Defenders, a grant that they had to study the feasibility of a campaign to get, uh, to get more funding for public defense and ended up being there for about three and a half years. And through that, built a lot of relationships statewide, learned a lot about, certainly about public defense, but a lot about, as well about the criminal justice system as a whole. And then, you know, I was, I was brought on to, to SPLC to, you know, to develop what eventually is, you know, what's turned into LPA. So, uh, but yeah, public defense was kind of how I first, first learned about it, all, all of it. And it was, it was pretty fun to, you know, read a bunch of reports for, for a month and then figure out like, oh, if I actually want to do this, I got to get out on the road. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, a lot of, a lot of rental cars, a lot of, you know, a lot of nights and, um, you know, not, not the best hotels you've ever stayed at and a lot of a lot of meals and um and some strange diners and a lot of great conversations with some very interesting people and you know, I have, a, I have a map in my room where i've highlighted every in my office of highlighting every road i've driven on in louisiana and i think i've now been to all i'm i think i'm missing cameron parish but i've been to 63 of the 64 parishes and um you know it would be a pretty strong candidate on there's a Jeopardy category for Louisiana geography, so it's been and travel's always been a always been a huge passion of mine.
1: And what was the path that brought him to New Orleans?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm from Aurora, Colorado, just outside of Denver, and I, you know, yeah, I guess ended up um, I ended up volunteering as a volunteer teacher in Namibia shortly after college. I just wanted to. I didn't didn't probably didn't examine my life too much while I was in college, and then started doing that after, and ended up teaching in Namibia, and that was still probably one of the most just sentimental. Or I mean, the, just one of the most seminal moments of my life was being there and just being really proud of you know how hard I worked to get there, uh, of what I was doing, and and then from there I I really was into traveling and, but traveling while leading projects. So I led a project in Kenya and Malawi and Argentina and got my master's degree in international affairs with the idea that I would work on yes probably econo- economic development or some so social development projects internationally. And I had it in my mind that I'd be able to spend a month in, you know, Bangladesh or, Africa and then a month in the states or something like that and then uh, you know I, I think i just probably grew probably grew a little bit frustrated with with like the setup of how a lot of international non-governmental organizations are and especially the idea of you know going into another country and telling people how to run what they're doing and you know, I lived in New York for a while, and then I came down to New Orleans just for a, really for a football game, and just thought it was a pretty cool city, and uh, and thought I could, you know, I thought there was a, a chance that I could help out down here as well and find some meaningful work. So just kind of, and it was it was planned out, but it was still kind of on a whim. I, I moved down to New Orleans, and uh, and, and was able to. I think find a find a way that I, at least I, I hope I, I contribute um, and certainly you know appreciate the the quality of life and and all that the city has to offer and and the people and the culture uh, and and I'm you know it, uh, to to be able to build build something here and, uh, and both for me personally and and I, and I, I hope with uh, with this work. And with the with the good, good people I've been able to
1: I asked John if there was any final story he wanted to share that illustrates the work that he does in criminal justice policy reform in Louisiana
2: I, I, you know, I, I think that one of the most illustrative moments for me was after the last session uh, the big three as we call them Senate Bills 139, 220, and 221 they were heard before the Senate Judiciary C Committee, and then, as unbeknownst to, to me and, and to really all of us, the night before, there had been some backdoor meeting where a lot of the policies that were very dear to a lot of our coalition members were stripped out of there. And, you know, people were looking at me, like, what's happening? I don't, like, nobody knew except for the the head of the DA's association. He was the only one that really knew what policies were in there because nobody else was involved and we had several hundred people there a lot of people with a lot of hopes and dreams for a lot of their loved ones and it was just a gut-wrenching moment just a huge gut punch to to watch to watch that happen but then afterwards you know a lot of a lot of our coalition members who this personally affected they you know they kind of cornered some people some legislators and, and some folks who stripped it um and and they they gave a piece of their mind but they were also like really respectful in a way um they were able to very firmly and passionately state what they believed in but they were um you know they they just had they just did it in a in a composure that um that just amazed me And, and not not that i not that i'm uh, you know low expectations for them but just thinking of like if I had lived their experience if I had that experience just how mad I would be because I'm already you know I was already mad and now when I retell it when I rethink about this it, you know still get really really angry about it but just how um, how resilient some of these people are and, um, and and just how proud of I am to 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 work with them and and how so many of so many of them, despite having this really, that really disappointing day, because you know, the rest of the legislation goes through and passes, but they know that their loved one will not be affected or will not be helped. But they stayed with it, and they've stayed with the cause, and, and they still, many of them, I think, still still have hope. And I want them to have hope. And I I want to, you know, celebrate the the victories we have while also making sure that people who who were not included in that feel like, you know, we still got your back and we're, we're still out there for you.
1: So how can listeners who care about criminal justice policy here in Louisiana get involved in this work?
2: Yeah. Well, we are Louisianans for Prison Alternatives, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And our website is prisonreformla.com. But I think the, the best, best, you know, we, we do everything through Facebook. Primarily, so again, Louisianans for prison alternatives. Find us there. We put put up all our events. We have meetings across the state uh, with great frequency. And then, if you, if you reach out reach out to me, it's John J O H N dot B U R K H A R T at S P L Center org. Then you know, email me. I'll make sure that you're you're aware of upcoming events and what's happening with criminal justice reform legislation and it's really a really a two-way street we're not here to tell people what's happening we want to make sure that we're also also getting ideas and inspiration from from people especially people affected by the system so yeah feel free to reach out please do
1: and the last question that we ask all our guests on the all rise legal show given that working in criminal justice can be really heavy and difficult where do you find joy?
2: Where do I find joy? I, 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 I still travel. Um, so the, the, in, you know, future, uh, future travel will, uh, will inspire me. I lead a pretty, I think I've, especially as I've gotten more into, it, I lead a really quiet life. I, I think I've you know, it can be a lot of really emotional. sound surrounded by a lot of people, so I think I've gotten a lot better about you know just staying in and, and reading a, reading a book and and especially listening to music. I love love seeing live music, and I also know that if I'm at my uh, my my capacity for human interaction, there's there's still it's not about sitting on my back porch on the couch and playing playing some music and and just trying to give my Give myself some headspace to, to think.
1: It's clear that policy work is as complex as it is important. In his role as part organizer, part policy person, part lobbyist, part spotlight operator, and part translator, John Burkhart helps to build and lead a powerful co- coalition that ensures that community voices are brought to the table in the legislative process. It's clear how crucial this work is in what is one of the most incarcerated regions in the world, in a time where there is unprecedented opportunity to push meaningful criminal justice reform. And to ensure that our legislators are acting in ways that represent our interests, it's important that we all make our voices heard in this process. You've been listening to the All Rise Legal Show presented by the Justice and Accountability Center of Louisiana. We'll see you again in two weeks here on WHIV LP in New Orleans. It's been a good day and a good evening, and so good night.
3: Beautiful things are going on, scene. Yes, yes. It's man, Verb, Aquatic Scholar, man. We're going to talk about all the things good in life, okay? Hold your head, it's all. Imagine early morning yawning flapjacks on sizzle Girly naked with the apron just to let you watch her wiggle Drop a couple things, she bend
0: over and start the giggle It's no riddle, your life is just... Music for the show has been provided by Dala Bin, produced by DJ Ian Head, with additional production from Verb Math from the album Styles You Can't Afford. All Rise Radio branding by Hero Farm, a marketing and public relations agency with a simple philosophy do great work for good people. The All Rise Legal Hour by the Justice and Accountability Center of Louisiana creates discussions with local attorneys, advocates, and impacted community members about all things criminal justice. Think the criminal justice system has a limited impact on those who are convicted? Think again. Affordable housing, sustainable employment, civic engagement, recidivism, community wealth, sustainable cities, supportive families, and parental engagement with children. All of these things and more are impacted by the criminal justice system. This system perpetuates poverty in our neighborhoods, our cities, our states, and our country. The All Rise Legal Hour explores how intertwined these issues can become and discusses solutions members of our community are implementing. You have been listening to the All Rise Legal Hour on WHIV LP in New Orleans, 102.3 FM. WHIV is radio programming. Dedicated map, to human and rights, and social justice, me, and public health.
3: Stream us live the online clutch, and at WHIFM.org right and up the, the, the front row, thick and grinning at me like you can get it till it come daylight. Word? Your new man come through just to meet your son. Call a little man, sir, respect him from jump. Next thing they shootin' ball, getting his homework done. You thinking, yo, I got to keep this one. That's a good brother right there. Walk into the store, hold open the front door, step aside. Let the queen walk in just before. Grab your stuff, head to the counter, and the cashier says, thank that lady, your stuff is paid for. What? It's your first child together. She's screaming, pushing it out. But all you see is God's image while she cussing you out. It's the next generation. This what life is about. Where the JMR's the journey is just. I mean, it's all good, man. Eh? It's be like tripping, man. Look, man, I ain't even fading it, yo. No worries. The world is too good. It's like. We all get bogged down, mad, frowns, and twisted. Small, middle, or large, the joys of life can't be missed, kid. Gather up the moments that's bringing your peace. Whether it's just a sunny morning or some raw ass beats. A fresh P N J with a cold glass of milk. Or the number of a girl that Serena type built it might pass. But so does pain move on to the next, right? Tuck some aside when you're cashing your check. Learn to play guitar, or get a fucking lap dance, roll the sticky ick and a blunt, spend the weekend in France. Scope out the honey, spilling out the tight pants, and tell your folks you love them whenever you get the chance. And all of y'all out there, you need to quit and get your silly ass up and dance. Dance, 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 yeah, dance. It don't stop. I'm with that fucking body rock like. Beautiful face